Hello and welcome. My name is Brian, and you're listening to Friends in Music with me, Brian Doherty, a podcast about all things music for those who are obsessed by it. I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on your chosen platform, and most importantly, thank you for listening. I first saw Brad Elvis play drums at an Elvis Brothers gig in Chicago in the 90s. I was on tour with The Silos, and Graham Maybe and I went to see them play after our show. I was floored by Brad's drumming, musicality, and his over-the-top showmanship. I've seen him a few times since, and he never disappoints. Brad celebrated his 50th year of his first band gig this past June with 4,321 documented live shows. Brad is still drumming and songwriting with his band The Handcuffs. They'll be releasing their fourth album this year with no plans to retire. Brad has also been drumming for the Romantics for the past 16 years, and they call him the second original drummer. But now he's the band, he's been with the band almost three times as long as the original guy, Jimmy Marinos. Brad grew up in mid-state Illinois in Pekin and Peoria, Illinois, before moving to Champaign with his band The Screams. He details his varied and exciting career throughout our conversation. I want to welcome Brad to the show. Brad, how are you? I don't know. No, um, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, uh, considering the isolation, the isolation experiment. Yes. Well, it's nice to finally meet with you. I've been a fan of your playing for quite a while. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a couple dates, a couple gigs you played later on in our conversation. Um, and to, to see if you remember them, but okay. why don't we start off? Can you, can you introduce yourself? Tell us, tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what it is, what it is that you do. Well, I mow yards. No, I don't mow yards. <laughs> I mow my own yard. I'm Brad Elvis, not my real name. Uh, and, uh, I played drums my entire life pretty much. And, I write songs and I've had a bunch of bands and a bunch of tours and records and recordings. And uh, I hit my 50 year uh, anniversary of my first gig in June. You don't, you don't look that old, Brad. That's because you can't see me. <laughs> I mean, in the press, in the press pictures. No, I, I, I look all right. You know, when you're in a band and especially I never really, I wasn't, I was always really consumed by the music and I just wanted to play in bands and, and my parents were awesome and I, I never was like a big party, do drugs and drinking and all that stuff. Uh, you know, what I enjoyed was playing the music and wanting to be in a band and I was just so focused on that and uh, having my own bands. And, and when you have your own band, you got to be responsible. You can't be all messed up yeah. and try to book gigs and send promo out and make promo and call people. And, and uh, <clears throat> so I've always uh, been together with all of that. And uh, so I have a pretty clear memory of things and um, it might've helped with uh, my so youthful looking face. Yes. So speaking of, so you mentioned your 
your 50th anniversary. Con- congratulations, by the way. Thanks. And um, so what, what was that first gig? That first gig was uh, in uh, 1970. And it was for a, uh, I, you know, I'm, I just started writing a book a couple months ago. People have been asking me to do this forever. And I said, I don't know. I don't have that many stories. But actually, I do. So. I think you do. <laughs> but when you've lived it, you don't really think much about it that way, you know. So I've kept a, a gig book from day one of every gig I've ever played. And I've always wrote stuff down also, because I, like I said before, I was just so into bands and, I mean, I got this band, I'm going to write down when my gig was and, mm-hmm. and then uh, all that sort of stuff and uh, rehearsals and band members. And I've always kept... Uh, uh, what do you, documents or whatever you call it. Uh, I've always wrote all this stuff. So anyway, I have every gig I've ever played in uh, the logged in starting in 1970. It's like at 4,300 and some gigs or something now at this point. Oh, but anyway, nice. uh, so I wrote my first gig down it was uh, 1970 and it was for, uh, oh, speaking of re- reason I brought all that up was because of the book stuff. I was like, gosh, I barely even remember that first band. I, uh, luckily, I wrote some names down that I have. I was, you know, like 15 or something. And mm-hmm. I, it was some older guy. And when I say older, he was probably 17. Yeah. No, he was probably 18 <laughs> or 19. Yeah. Which, you know, when you're that age, everybody's a couple of years older, seems like eons away. I know. You know, so, and uh, so he kind of had this thing and we only had to play like six songs or something. And it was for a, uh, some boy scout thing, like an outdoor picnic, a hot dog roast or something. And so we played this gig in 1970 and, uh, and, uh, but the funny thing, it was off, it was kind of out in the country off to the side and it was on a road called Broadway road. So I always tell people my first gig was a weenie roast on Broadway. <laughs> That's a good one. And it was all downhill after that. Yeah. Yeah. They just got worse after that. No, yep. no they didn't. Um, what was the name of that band? The flaming freeze. <laughs> and what, what's in your book about it? Do you have, did you write down your, your feelings uh, like the reflections after the gig or um, your set list or anything or. No, I wish I would have wrote the set list. I know we did. Uh, oh, actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, I remember we did basically what our, every band played back in those days. We played like, you know, Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. And, mm-hmm. But um, this guy, his name was Ed Hoik or Hoik or something like that. The older dude mm-hmm. <clears throat> had some connection to the, the scouts. And um, he had a an original or, or two. And the reason I remember that is because there was a little article about it in our local paper. And uh, it, it talks about, and the, and the a band, play, a local combo played the Flaming <laughs> Freeze. Right, it was, everything was a combo back then. Yeah. And uh, it said in, uh, an original composition by, by Ed Hoyt called My Prayer or something like that, I don't know. So. Uh, so we did a couple cover songs and apparently we did an original or so. So nice. But uh, what got you into all this? You mentioned your awesome parents. So I please elaborate on that on on your great parents. But what, what, 
you know, what, what got you all jazzed and fired up about being in a band and so on? Tell, tell us about that. Um, well, part of it, I guess, would be it's in my pants. I mean, jeans. It's in my <laughs> yeah. jeans. And uh, because my brother, I have uh, another, uh, one other brother who's seven years older than I am. So I was like a, an only, a lonely mm -hmm. child at that big of a gap, you know, when he, by the time I'm seven, he's already in his teens, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. And um, anyway, he was always into kind of music or theater stuff or writing. He was a newscaster and then, and then uh, he never was that much into acting, even though he went in college, he did some of that stuff, but, uh, but he's more, he's as, He's a uh, movie producer. Mm -hmm. So we've always kind of had that something in us, whatever. And show, as long as I can biz. remember. Yeah. So as long as I can remember, uh, uh, I always, everybody thought I was going to be an artist because I, I think probably a lot of musicians start out that way when they're younger. It's like they have some kind of creative outlet and they they could draw or have art or something, you know? Right. Did you do any of that stuff? Uh, I I always wanted to play drums. That that was it. I, I saw um, you know you know Buddy Rich on on the Tonight Show and stuff like that. Where like I just always wanted to play. I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. And of course Ringo. But um, so so tell me about your parents. Your your parents put up with you practicing. Um, yes. I mean, they made me pay <laughs> weekly. <laughs> no, no, and with my income, it was weekly. <laughs> Week. We, um, we should we we got to get a symbol a a, a snare symbol, uh, you know, sample going on here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, going back, I you know, had something in me. I always wanted to play something. I didn't know what. And I remember telling my mom and dad, probably mainly my mom. You know, I said. Uh, I want something, I don't know, guitar or drum or something. So they bought me some real cheapo kind of stuff, but I was happy with it. And uh, then the Beatles, uh, February 9th, 1964, were on Ed Sullivan. And uh, I was, uh, let's see, how old was I? I was nine, but I was going to be 10 that year. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of turning human enough to understand at this point, music and something I liked, you know, and uh, but I remember that night super well, and it was like everybody else remembers it and was there. It was like a some kind of hypnotizing alien drug that hit everybody, you know, and that's what happened to me too. And uh, um, so that was all good. And my I remember my parents weren't there that night, and I go, what's well, and for years, I was like, yeah, it was so weird. For some reason, mom and dad were at home. And my brother, who was, uh, what would he be then, at 16? or so. Yeah. He was like 16 or so. So I think, they, and his name's Bill. And they were probably like, well, all that. Well, anyway, later I found out on February 9th, that's my mom's birthday. Oh. You know, when you're young, you don't really know people's birthdays. They just kind of magically happen and, right. hey, tomorrow's your birthday. It is. Exactly. What yes. do you want to do? I don't know. <laughs> Presents. And um, so that's why they were gone that night. And I, looking back, I'm like, oh, I was nine. Bill was 16. 
definitely old enough to watch over me. It was probably the first time they ever went out on my mom's birthday in like, you know, 20 years or 16 years or whatever it was. So that's why they weren't there that night. So that's kind of interesting. But uh, um, yeah, my parents were great. Uh, And I think my brother and I inherited our uh, creative artistic end from my mom's side who had like 10 brothers and sisters who grew up in a super small town and everybody had a million brothers and sisters back then but every one of them could like were like really good at art or they could write books or they could play piano by ear my mom could or mandolins and guitars and so I think we just kind of picked that up somehow and I was just kind of natural at it as according to some of my relations back then when they would hear me drum where where is this where where are you this is up? a this is an illinois uh middle of the state the heart of illinois is peoria mm-hmm. and i was in a smaller town nearby called pekin p-e-k-i-n and um uh yeah like the uh we would have family reunions i remember i took my little Montgomery Ward's drum set to go play along with the older dudes that, in the family that played banjo, banjos and mandolins and acoustic mm-hmm. guitar. You know, this is so 1966 or something by then or so. And uh, they were playing all this bluegrass and stuff, but I would play drums along with them. And they would always tell my mom, oh, he's got natural timing. He, he's good. He's got, you know. So anyway, that was always uh encouraging so so what were you do you guys go into peoria is is that is that the town you guys would go to for you know i don't know for a movie or um was that we had a city yeah and it was only like you know eight miles away or so peoria was pretty good size i think it was the chicago then peoria i think now i think rockford might have taken over that for from Peoria but uh but Peoria um yeah we did that once in a while I was like oh wow going to Peoria but Pekin kind of had a a good scene it was uh you know they had a movie theater and and uh all that drive-in movies and things and uh music shops and record stores hi-fi one stop the record shop you know and uh, and the magazine the great magazine shop that they had had all the best magazines when I was a teen, you know, they had the first circus magazine when it first came out and cream and, mm-hmm. and, and they would get in like all the little special magazines that like Rolling Stone or and circus they, would, you know, they didn't have that. I'd have to go to Peoria for that and go to co-op records and get enemy and melody makers. And, uh, but I loved all that stuff, you know, I still, hoard everything <laughs> i was just gonna ask you if you're if you're a collector yeah very much so uh a, a big collector and i'm very organized um which you got to be records so of vinyl yeah i have uh like five, five or six thousand albums and oh uh probably that many 45s all all in plastic and and alphabetized and arranged and uh and and I collect uh, kind of fun. Uh, I was just always so uh, into the celebrity thing, not for myself necessarily, but 
I'll put it this way. I was always a fan, and I think it's good to always remain a fan because if you, if you stop being a fan and you think you're too cool, you're cooler than everyone else, you know, that that's not good. I remember reading an interview a long time ago with the uh, when The Clash opened up for The Who at Shea Stadium and stuff. And one of the nights, I guess, uh, one of the reviews was... Uh, and Pete Townsend came on, he was wearing a Clash t-shirt. And it's great to see that someone like, and Pete, you know, on top of the world is still a fan, you know, that yeah. he's not, he's not too cool not to wear the opening band's t-shirt, you know, and uh, that things like that stick with you when you're younger and, uh, and uh, that sort of thing. Or another one was, uh, I think on their 75 tour, I was a big Who fan and. Um, I could tell. Thanks. And uh <laughs> Uh, they played in Florida somewhere at the beginning of their tour and their arena or whatever they played wasn't quite as full as they expected it to be. And the review was great. It said they just, they played extra and they played super hard and just, yeah. and then uh, Pete said, said it, he said, uh, thanks or something, you know, you go tell all the people that weren't here tonight what they missed. Yeah. You know, they're like, it wasn't like, oh, we're bummed out. We're not going to play a good yeah. show. This sucks. You know, like, no, we're going to play extra hard and then kick everybody's ass and, and make everybody go talk about it. You know, I love that. I've seen I've seen a couple good shows where, you know, total pro band, maybe a few years past their prime, you know, play play a club that's, I don't know, half full, but they still they still play like they're like it's their last gig. That's the yeah. sound of a true, true professional band. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's great. Yeah, we've all we've all been there, and you know, you, people come to see you play, and no matter who's there, you and you get and you play for yourself as well. You know, you do that whole that whole bit. That's kind of where I'm coming from, anyway. So, so how do you how do you, at what age were you like? This is what I want to do for a living, and. How does that happen? Do you graduate high school and or just move, do you move out of town or what 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 happens? I was about 48 <laughs> and uh, and you're still trying to figure it out. I'm <laughs> still trying to figure it out. Um, no, like it's pretty much forever, you know. I, going back as far as I can think about that I wanted a drum and all that stuff and uh being a fan and listening to my Beetle 45s and uh, the Monkees and uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders and the Rolling Stones and right. Herman's Hermits, you know, yes. all I was, it was, I grew up with all that. I, I think I, with that 60s invasion thing, I think if I would have been seven or eight, would have been almost like too young, but I think I was just over that hump enough where I got it and I understood what I was you know, seeing like with the Beatles yes. on TV. Like I remember at one, I did see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I was like, I don't know. I remember my brother, seven years older, he goes, are you going to watch the Beatles? I was like, I don't know what the Beatles are, you know, which I kind of didn't. And, uh, but I'm going to watch them because the people were talking about some Beatles thing. So I watched and it was like, yeah. I don't know what it like something just like pulls me into the television set, you know, and then like a week or two later, Dave Clark five was on. Oh my God. And they all had, uh, they were all wearing white suit, their white suits and they kind of had their hair kind of combed over. If you remember, if you yes. see pictures of that what kind a, of combed. What a, what a great drummer, right? 
Yes. Well, yes. And they, so they kind of had their hair kind of combed over and they had saxophone and keyboard and, and, but, and I loved the song because they're do, 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 you know, the yeah. big stomping Dave Clark five song. Yeah. But I said something about them. I don't know. I kind of like that other band better. Yeah. The Beatles. Like I, I, I knew at that age, I could already tell what I liked and what I didn't like. So, uh, so is the Elvis brothers, your first major label band you're in or, no, there was you another one before. That point? There was a, um, well, I had my own band starting. Well, I played in different bands. And then uh, at the very end of 74, 1974, after being in bands for four years, this one band that I was in was really good and influential to me. And they were splitting up. And I was like, well, I want to keep doing this. So I put together, by then I knew some other musicians. So I became the leader of my first band, like at the very end of 74, nice. all into 75 and 76. And then at the end of 76, yeah, we got to do something else. And we were just like chaos in my book and going through my old notes. It was totally, well, we got to do this because this is what the Who does. And we were just constantly just... I think I lost you a little bit. Coffee table's out. Was, yeah. I, I, was, uh, I was like Keith Moon Jr. I said I was, mm -hmm. uh, and the whole band, we were so into the who, because that's what we thought rock and roll, what we were supposed to do. And I'd be throwing coffee tables out windows and blowing stuff up in the hotels and flooding rooms. And so uh, this is all, I was like, I'm reading my notes back when I'm putting up, as I hadn't seen in years, I go, oh my God. What an ass. <laughs> yeah. Now I tidy up the room, you know, yes. uh, before I leave. But um, <clears throat> at the end of 76, I said, oh, we got to do something different. And this new stuff coming in, we're really into like the Ramones and uh, the stuff from England, Sex Pistols and Clash and all that. So uh, I started Screams, a band called Screams, which kind of morphed out of that other band. And uh, we were probably one of the very first uh, making the little quote signs punk bands mm -hmm. at the time. And uh, looking back, it was just a good rock and roll band. Same with Sex Pistols right. at the time. I was like, oh my God, it's punk rock. It's horrible. These kids, they're wearing. But if you listen to the music, it's what they tried to destroy. But it ended up being just a really good rock and roll same band. The <laughs> same can be said for the Ramones, too, right? Yeah. Just good, just uh, good rock. Yep. My, I remember Rob Elvis. They're the best American rock rock band there is, rock and roll band there is, you know. But um, so I started Screams and uh, we did all that. And we got signed at the end of 78 to a new label called Infinity, which was on MCA. Mm -hmm. And uh, we recorded an album out at the record plant and nice. uh, in Sausalito. And then uh, we went on tours. We played with the, uh, did a little mini tour first with the Atlantics, who had just been out with Roxy Music, mm -hmm. who I love Roxy Music. And um, Andy, Andy Newmark, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I'm that was later. Fair. Yeah, sorry. That was later, yeah. Well, he did play in a very, one of the later versions off and on of Roxy. But Paul Thompson was the uh, original yeah. drummer. And um so, uh, yeah, then we did a big tour. This album comes out. It was a good album, kind of like a... We used to see Cheap Trick in the clubs all the time. And they were such a big influence on every band in a 200-mile radius back then in the clubs. And uh, it rubbed off on us, definitely. So uh, Scream's album, if you can find it out there, it's um, 
very kind of cheap trick, very cheap trick meets, uh, you know, our, our other influences like The Who and David Bowie and Eno and all that stuff. And uh, so then we did a big tour with Van Halen, believe it or not. You wouldn't think it would be a good match, but it ended up being all right. Tell, tell because us more we could, about uh, that. Um, uh, Van Halen, it was their second album. It was their first headlining tour. And uh, I remember they, hey, you're going to go out with Van Halen? And we're like, really? <laughs> we were like, I go out with somebody cool, man. How come we can't go? But if you think about it back then, that time in 77, 78, even 79, well, yeah, 79, there wasn't a lot of bands, new bands that were doing filling big halls, you know. Yeah. You can think, oh, there's Ramones and Blondie and Elvis Costello. No, you had the Eagles, like the Eagles big band. Yeah. Like 78 or 79. Bob, Bob Seeger. Yeah. Yeah. All, but those bands that we liked, they were playing like small theaters and big concert clubs, right. except for like Cheap Trick. And uh, they took off at that point. But other than that, you know, who else are you going to tour with, you know? So, but anyway, so we ended up going out with Van Halen. And and looking back, if you listen to those first couple of Van Halen or all, almost all their albums, they're very pop. Right. You know, Jamie's crying. Oh, yeah. Good songs. You know, yeah. All those kind of songs, yeah. you know, they're just, they were just a good, and, they, and then they had their secret weapon, Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. And, but, um, so we went out and I, because we rocked and we were so into the who and we were really hard hitters and I did all my Keith Moonisms and bouncing sticks and we played hard and our guitar players leaping around and, and all that. Um, we went over really well on the whole tour and, um, uh, we finished the tour out with them. We did, uh, we started like July 5th in Florida and then we went all the way all over the U.S. <clears throat> until their last gig was like October something 8th wow. at the L.A. Forum and all the gigs were sold out. It was their first headlining tour and uh, I always said they really liked our band. We did three legs, as they say, with three different. I was going to uh, ask they, you if they if they would watch your show. Yeah, we would see him over there a couple yeah. times, and uh, and then um, somebody on their crew told us that, uh, hey, we really like you guys. You guys like talk to the bands, and you talk to the crew. You see, all the other bands. This is like a lesson to be learned. Also, you know, all the other bands, you know, they play their set and they go hide out in their dressing room. They're too cool to talk to anybody. Yeah. But we were never like that. We were always like gabbing, especially me. I'd walk around. I go, hello. You know, I'd always be the first one to say hi, you know, right. and uh, they said that they liked that. And you know what, what band they had before us? I go, and he said, all the other bands only lasted like a week or two and they would boot them off the, their year long tour. And uh, the band before us was the Fabulous Poodles. <laughs> oh, I, I, Remember I, those guys? I think, no, I don't actually. Okay. They I were like them. a very, well, uh, had been 79 so it was that period right before the 80s and you know and a name like the fabulous poodles and they you know wore their suits and uh had short hair and and they didn't really go over that great with van halen as you can imagine but their main complaint with them said oh they're too cool never talk to anybody but we did all that and we played hard and we rocked and uh, we would see uh those guys over side stage watching us once in a while nice. and um 
and they kept us on the rest of the whole tour. So they they really liked us, and uh, I chatted with them a couple times and sound checked Alex's drums for him, oh, so nice. he could go out in front and listen to him to see what, and uh, things like that a couple times. And uh, um, I always said that was their the best they ever played that tour. And the reason is because, hey, it was just their second album, but there was their headlining tour, their first mm -hmm. headlining tour, and they didn't want to screw up. Right. They didn't want to go back to being an opening band again. And everything, they played hard, they played really good, and uh, every night was the same thing, just no matter how improvised it, you would think it would be, it was like the same thing every yeah. night. And, they, and every night they worked on the lights. I remember the lighting guy was always with them. Uh, oh, you guys should do, oh, it looked really, really good when you guys did this and you should do that. And they just kept working at it. So, and then I saw on the next tour, Women and Children first, uh, when they came through Champaign, Illinois, which is where I had lived at the time. And uh, it was already like, we made it. Right. It's good. We're all good. And they are right. already, David Lee Roth was already, look at all the people, you know, he's just gabbing more than singing and talking. Right. It was already starting. And, and uh, Eddie was backstage with a bottle of Jack Daniels walking around. You never saw any of that stuff when we were with them. They were just totally, I'm sure they partied, but I didn't see they totally kept it together. So that's my story on that. You, you, you mentioned, so you wanted to start your own band. You became the band leader. Were you also the songwriter too, or co-songwriter or? Um, well, the band before that I said was influential. It was just a local band, but it was like all the top dudes that were in high school and out of high school that I had looked up to. And one of them was the bass player was my age was uh, Graham, who ended up being in the Elvis Brothers. Yes. And, and then the lead singer, Greg Clemens, it was kind of his band, sort of. And he had written songs. And he ended up getting signed later to Emperor Records. And then, uh, you know, so it was like three of, three of the four guys ended up getting record deals uh, different times, you know. So it was a good talented young band and uh but anyway with greg and uh and all the bands even before that that they were all in had really good originals you, you would know the originals you know and uh these are cool songs and stuff so it was a big it was great to be in a band like that that was really aware of having a band having an image and uh how they could actually write good songs and i've been lucky i've always been in bands around with people like that so my next band when i started it I'd already been writing songs and writing down lyrics and things for years at that point. And then I just thought, hey, I got this idea for a song, you know, and uh, that it probably started with me with that. Right. And uh, do, you, do you have a vehicle? Do you, do you uh, play keyboards or guitar where, where you hash out an idea? Not at all, but I can kind of like because of the inheritance of the trousers i mean jeans i can um tap out stuff on pianos and and guitar things and but i can't really sit down and play a song but every one of my songs that i always heard in my head uh completely finished or, or, or close to being finished and i could hear the sounds of it and uh i just watched some documentary on somebody and they had they said the same thing that oh maybe i'll figure who it was 
But anyway, they said the same thing. Where it's like, yeah, here's like the song. It's like, and I asked Chloe, my wife, who writes songs, great songs as well. I go, don't you have that when you hear a song? She goes, no, not really. I just hear, because I always I hear like a whole song in my head almost in the parts, and it's like weird. So anyway, I've always explained my songs, gotcha. and and you can hum out a melody to a, a song, and you would recognize it, you know like a, a known song, but if I hummed it, you go, oh yeah, yeah, I know that song. Right. So with my own songs, I would do that. And I said, well, the guitar goes like this. It's kind of a song. I kind of explain the genre mm -hmm. kind of, and then I would say, and the guitar is a da 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 And then the guitar player, and then if he gets it wrong, I go, no, it's So we get that worked out, and I got the beat, and then I go, the, underneath of that, the bass goes, and boom, 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 and I'll tell them how the bass riff goes, do 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 you know, and then, uh, right, and then, uh, cool. and then when they get done doing that, I'm like, uh, here's how the vocals fit on top of it. Right. So see, you can see how that would work. I've Absolutely. been doing that my entire life, thousands of songs, hundreds of songs, hundreds of tapes, and fill, filled with song ideas. And I've used, I've used voice notes on my phone. But in the shop, right in the grocery store, to, to remember it? ideas, you know. Oh right, yeah. Sing it into my phone. Well, I had a. I lived by the Walkman many years oh, yeah. ago. Yeah, I remember the Sony Walk. Gosh, I, this was so cool. I have it like. I think I have like a hundred. Uh, I probably have like a hundred cassette tapes, oh, like wow. anywhere from sixty to ninety minutes, and they're close to a hundred probably over the many years filled with song ideas and stuff and tape. And then I, I wrote them all down. So I knew what it was. And I put little stars by them. If it was like, this actually was kind of a good idea. You know? Yeah. The Walkman thing, you started to say, yeah, those are so cool. At one point on the Van Halen tour, they went off for a week to go to Japan and then they came back in 79, 1979. Uh, this is probably August or September. And they came back and go, what are you listening to? One of the guys was walking, looked like a little transistor radio. He goes, here, mm -hmm. check it out. I said, wow, it sounds great. He goes, yeah, it's a walk one. I got it in Japan. Yep. So Set that's where the first, first time I ever saw one. You, know? you remember like this, I think that like the second generation or third generation had that, like the microphone, the, the stereo mic right there on the corner of the unit. Like you could just like t sing into it or talk oh, into right. it. You could uh -huh. record anything, you know? Yeah. Sounded great too. Yeah, those early ones were awesome because they were four battery and they were really strong and heavy duty. The four. Then when I went to two battery, they kind of sucked. But uh, yeah, they, don't, they only got worse. Um, yeah. So in 1990, I think, I was in Chicago and yeah. I was actually, I, I, I was playing a gig at, I think, the, the, Metro, the Metropolitan, the Metropolitan. Metro. Metro. The, okay. the metro yeah it was cabaret metro and then it just went to metro which is still around okay got gotcha great great place and mm -hmm. i was speaking to somebody afterward and they said you should really go down down the street at i think it was called the cubby bear the cubby bear yeah it was, it was Cub, a pub, cubby bear like yeah a, yeah a big uh actually a, a big yes a big yes. club right across the yes. street from wrigley field the cubs cubby yes. bear and um, you should go there. There's this really good band, the Elvis Brothers, is playing there. And it, okay, so me and uh, the bass player came in to see you guys, and I, my face hurt. 
because I was smiling <laughs> ear to ear <laughs> the, for the, for the entire experience. And, um, you're like an amazing drummer and you were playing standing up at, at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, just like the best mix of entertainment and it wasn't all entertainment, uh, uh, as far as your drumming, great drumming, everything fit perfectly, you know, but, um, I just saw like the whole package and I was like, damn, that's like unbelievable what you were doing. So first of all, it was a great experience and, and, and I'll never forget it. Like you were like bouncing sticks off the floor, Tom and stuff, like grabbing them in the air. Um, but can you, I don't know, do you want to talk about like what you think of the best, like how the, how the entertainment mixes with the, the musicality of stuff and how you actually learned how to, you know, I, I don't want to, you would never say it's like all show because the substance is so awesome as well. The, you know, great songs, great playing, it's great everything. But you, you talked about this a little bit earlier, but, you know, can you bring us through like how, how, how you thought, like your thought process of giving people like their money's worth is, is the way I, I can describe it. Like, do, do you want to talk about that? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to say goodbye here. Thanks for coming over. I like what you did to the place. Um, uh, well, my going back to my excellent parents, my egg salad parents, they were, um, they always, especially my mom's side. My dad was a, an only and lonely child, and uh, he was great as well. But, but my mom, and he loved, well, they grew up in a super small town, so he loved going over and hanging out. I mean, the town had 800 people or something. So they grew up together. So he loved hanging out on my mom's side of the house, uh, side of the town over mm-hmm. the house, because all the kids, all the brothers and sisters were around, and they are all just loved humor and they were all playing music or whatever you know so i inherited some of that i guess and uh, i've always had a i've always been fairly witty and loved comedy and and uh i always liked the twisted more comedians growing up like you know the jonathan winners oh, as yeah. a kid and uh, senior winces or whoever you know that was a great show actually his show jonathan winters yeah, I just I remember him more just when he was just a comedian and he'd be on like uh, Ed Sullivan shows and uh, all that stuff and uh, early Smothers Brothers, same way, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So um, so anyway, just being funny, I when I would be like really young, like four, five, six, seven, eight at Thanksgivings and Christmases. I remember I would actually be holding court sometimes. Like, Brad, tell that funny joke, you know, and, ah, <laughs> and all the adults would just be laughing, you know. Yeah. So, so I kind of had that going on. But um, so I always say a lot of my influences with drumming are just guitar players and uh, comedians and uh, of course drummers. So I took that and drums, and then I started. Uh, all right, when I decided I should follow someone, and I decided to follow this. I had this this single called I Can See for Miles by The Who. And I was like, man, something about that drumming on that is different and so cool. And maybe I'll follow that guy. Maybe I, I need to follow someone. I just taught myself. And um, so I followed him. And, oh, The Who are going to be on 
you know, Smothers Brothers or whatever, and yeah. or Tom Jones or anything. I could I was like, I got to watch it. And then I watched it. Wow, he's twirling on sticks and bouncing stuff. And so I started doing that as I was teaching myself. And, uh, and, uh, and a lot of other drummers too, uh, Johnny Barbada from uh, the Turtles, who was mm-hmm. awesome, really. And he was from jazz. I can't say I know him. So uh, I, you I also check out the okay. check out check out the turtles uh, stuff. And he went on to be with like a Jefferson Starship, and uh, he also played on uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, the live album, that Four Way Street album. Okay. And uh, who else did he play with? Uh, but he was a stick twirler, and he obviously I read he had a book that uh, actually he he gave to me, believe it or not, and um, not available to the public either. It's like really mm. this is a long story, but. Um, but he was a big jazz guy, but you could tell he was young and we kind of looked alike when we were younger. Chloe goes, God, that's totally you. It even looks like you've got the same nose, the same mm-hmm. hair, wears the kind of British suits, even though he was from uh, the States. But anyway, yeah, him, so I saw a lot of stick twirlers and all that stuff. So I wanted to do that and I practiced all the time. And, and then when the movies came out like uh, Monterey Pop Festival and Woodstock, God, I went anytime they were, they were in town. I went and saw multiple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joan Baez, hurry up! I want to see the who. Here they come. <laughs> and then I would just like my my I would just like melt into that thing. I would watch every tiny little because I only got like eight yeah. minutes to watch these two songs, and then I'm done. And uh, and then I would go back again. And Tommy, when right. they had that Tommy movie, yeah. I saw that like you know twenty times. And okay, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever come on with the who performance stuff and keep the waves like playing them bashing and so anyway all, all that stuff came from that and um and uh and i went hand in hand so it wasn't like i waited 10 years well i should learn to twirl my stick i just did that as i was teaching myself right, so it comes right. off very natural yes and does. i do that at rehearsals i play that way at sound checks so i do all this like that's that's very very interesting and and that's so it's not just for entertainment's sake. That's that's part of the way that you play all the time. Yes, yeah. it really is. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you right. go see my sound check and I'm doing the same stuff. I'm doing the Pete Townsend arm swing things. And, uh, <clears throat> and I don't know if you saw that night, I do a thing where I balance a drumstick on my right hand while I'm playing. Well, I do, I, that, <laughs> I do that a lot, but that came from uh, by accident by just me holding my stick, you can't see me, but I would hold my stick straight up. And I, wow. I always played my sticks backwards because mm-hmm. I saw a picture of Keith Moon doing that. I, well, that's what he does, I guess that's what I'll do. And uh, it's kind of makes sense in a way because it's like holding a baseball bat. Yes, yeah. The thin end is, the thin end is in your hands. And then, so I would hold my stick straight up like Keith Moon did doing the, and out of boredom, I would kind of let go of it and it would balance on my uh, palm. And that just turned into, I'm balancing a drumstick while I'm playing drums. <laughs> How does he do that? And, and I've been doing that since I was in, like, in high school bands, you know. So, so, uh, so when you're doing a session with the handcuffs and you're laying down your tracks, or you're, you're, still, you're still doing stuff like that? Um, a little bit. I'm really concentrating, but I, I swear to Rod that uh, at the end of the, when the, when the track ends, 
like and I'm like holding the pause. I always almost twirl a stick or right. kind of do a little or kind of whoop, flip it up and catch it type of thing. It's yeah. just like oh, I had to do that. Like, I couldn't do it because I was still concentrating in the middle of the. Uh, so yeah. I saw you a couple of years ago in New Jersey with the Romantics, which was a, a great show as well. I don't know if you um, remember that. That was with the Smithereens and and who's Tommy Marshall Crenshaw, maybe. Marshall Crenshaw, yeah. I Tommy, don't remember. Yeah. Um, Two tone, I think. I think Graham maybe might have been playing yeah. bass. Yeah. yeah, Graham Graham was playing bass. Um but you you were great with the romantics too. Do you wanna tell us how you get to how do you get to the romantics? Do they see you play or you know, they're they're like, We want this guy or you know, um, I'll do a quick uh, screams. We went to England, toured a headline tour. Label got dropped. Came back toward the end of that year. Oh, then we played all through '80, just trying to survive. Said screw it. End of '81, Elvis Brothers get together. It takes off like crazy. '82 uh, with Rob and Graham, the three of us which is how I got the name Brad Elvis because of the Elvis brothers just goofing around, you know, so. So you're like all the, like Marky Ramon or, right? Everybody's a Ramon? Um, pretty much, yeah, without thinking about it. What is, well, what, what is your real name, if I might ask? Presley, Elvis Presley. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's Brad Stakely, S-T-E-A-K, like steak, L-E-Y. Bradley J. And um, um, yeah, Elvis Brothers were just like, uh, we had all started, uh, all, Rob had been in a band that got, uh, was on a label and the three of us just started this Elvis Brothers thing, just for a side thing, just goofing around. And with the name Elvis Brothers, we, we always said, if we thought we were gonna be a, 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 a serious band, we would have never named it the Elvis Brothers. But, uh, and, um, uh, so anyway, one night, just goofing around, Rob Graham's like, I'm Graham Walker, uh, this is Rob over here, Rob Newhouse, and before he got to me, me just goofing around on the Elvis, I said, and he goes, back here we got, and I go, Brad Elvis, and he goes, and Graham's eyes light up, he goes, Brad Elvis on drums, I'm Graham Elvis, and this is Rob Elvis, we're the Elvis brothers, so we, it was just part of a goofy, that's, and that's just stuck, and then we took off, and we got a record deal on Portrait, CBS, uh, we had uh, three albums out and all that stuff, and then then I had my own band, Big Hello. After that, with a couple of CDs out, and then we started. My wife and I, Chloe, who had met and during Big Hello, we started a uh, a band called The Handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just checking it out on on, on Apple Music, and uh, we have three albums out now, and a fourth one finished and ready to go. But um, but we had already recorded one album, which we ended up never releasing. So, um, but we got with this management thing, this management guy and a, a big time management thing. And uh, we signed with him, did the whole lawyer thing, signed with him. And then it, uh, it didn't work out. Like four or five months later, nothing was going on. And it was just frustrating. and. Chloe's like, I don't even want to do this anymore. It's not even fun. You know, I was like, I just, nothing's going on. And it was just, so we decided to break up or then lose this manager guy 
this is kind of funny how this, so it was like all oh, this like negative vibes and it was just like oh man this and the only type way he could meet with us at this point he goes well i got um if you could meet me in law i live in we live in chicago if you could meet me in uh, los angeles i'm going to be there for a few days i'm trying to get this other band and blah, blah, blah. and we thought you know maybe we need a break anyway let's go to los angeles we'll meet with him there but the, like the day before we decided we talked to him and said we don't want to be with you anymore so uh so uh when we hung up we were like ah like this big weight had been lifted off of us it's like the sun came out and birds were landing on us and, mm -hmm. and clawing our faces no it wasn't like that and um um pecking at us <laughs> no um, so we we're like well, who can we call so we started calling people we're like hey we're, we're gonna go there we got our tapes we're gonna go buy record drop record you know tape, tapes off to records and record companies and, mm -hmm. and i'll call my friend clem Clem Burke, yeah, and uh, he was playing in the Romantics at the time. Oh, Blondie wouldn't. Blondie hadn't been playing. Blondie had broken up, you know. So, so I called Clem. I go, "What's up?" He goes, oh, "I'm rehearsing. I'm rehearsing." My boy, New Jersey accent. Yeah, he's from Bayonne. I'm I'm yeah. from Jersey as well. So, because I don't know, <laughs> Blondie's rehearsing, and uh, I go, well, "What's going on with the Romantics?" And uh, they're but not much, and uh, I'm not going to be able to play with them, and I, this and that, and it's like they don't believe me. I'm going to be out with these guys. I'm going to be out with Blondie for a year or two, and he's been with them ever since. It's kind of mm -hmm. funny they stayed together, and I go, "He goes, what do you do?" And I said, "Well, Chloe and I just have this." project we don't really have a band but we just have tapes he goes well if you're not playing you ought to play with them you'd be you'd be perfect <laughs> you'd be perfect for him and uh i said i will uh, maybe yeah i'm not doing anything right now income would be good and uh, i said if you can call them so we went to los angeles the next day and then the day after that i got a call from uh wally from the romantics hey i was talking to clem and uh, we kind of know we knew each other of each other we played on bills together with mm -hmm. elvis brothers and romantics and, but uh clem says you might be available do some dates and so that's how that all started and uh and also within like weeks and days every day like some great thing some new thing or some gosh so and so called and they're interested in you know it was like in her so crazy if you get rid of the some negative thing all this stuff yeah, happens know. you know so um so that's how i came about with the romantics and i i didn't know if i was going to be with them just for these six or eight dates in a row or maybe the one and then they called me like a month later hey we're going to do some more of these you want to do it said, sure okay and uh here it is you know over 16 years later i've been their longest playing drummer and i've been with them long like way way over twice as long as the original jimmy at this point and uh uh yeah it's a good gig to have and uh and fun playing all those gigs and do um and, what's what's the you know how, how how do they tour do you do you guys you know do, do they hit the road hard or do they just you know four or five dates at a time and come home or um, it varies, but it, mostly a lot of one-off things. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes there'll be a couple in a row. And there's been times where, uh, like in 2000, I don't know, four, five, six, we did like a month-long little Stevens thing mm -hmm. all over the country by bus. 
two buses. And um, uh, so some of that happens. Oh, and we did a couple years ago, we did a couple years in a row, we did a ton of uh, Rick Springfield dates outdoors nice. all summer. These big, big open, you know, uh, theater type things and uh, sold out, you know, great. It was all down in the uh, Carolinas and Florida's and Georgia. And it was in the summer, so it was like humidity is like 120 percent, you know. All right. And the heat. Yeah. Oh my God! Those dates were so. And every night, just like wringing out your clothes, you know, and and hopefully they'll be dry so you can wear something tomorrow night, you know. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> those were uh, fun to do. Though it was great. Recently, I, I sent you. Um, I don't know. I've I've I follow these clips on Instagram and YouTube of, you know, drummers, classic clips and stuff like that. And Louis Belson and Gene Krupa. And I sent you a Lionel Hampton one. I, oh, I did yeah. not, I did not know he was that. I, I mean, and I mean this sincerely, like I, he's, he's an amazing drummer. I didn't, I did not know he was that good of a drummer, but he's he's a really good drummer. Yeah. Well, it goes hand in hand, I guess, with the uh, vibraphone, vibraphone or, yeah. and, uh, when you think about it, I remember um, when I was younger, uh, which was could have been even just last week. <laughs> well, yes, you were younger last week. But way younger. <laughs> they, I was told that um, that uh, drummers and piano players are a lot alike because of the rhythm and the, the actual tapping of rhythm when you actually play the piano and the stuff. so that kind of makes sense and especially vibraphone you're actually holding two mallets and, right. yeah. or four whatever if you want to show off and um yeah he's great and super showy i saw him uh the first time i realized that was uh remember the show uh cable on usa it was awesome in the early 80s called night flight I can't say that I know that, no. Oh, man, it was awesome. It was great. For, it was around for just a couple of years, and it was before we had MTV. Right. So was I would like always watch. a music watch. variety show? Or? No, it was, it was just a, hello. It was always on Fridays and Saturday nights, and then they'd go, hello, and welcome to fr Night Flight. Tonight we have, you know, uh, new bands. Tonight, mm -hmm. new bands from Boston. And they would have, like, some... Uh, they had this show where they would do new band, like the neighborhoods would be on there. And, oh, yeah, uh, I remember that. And uh, they weren't signed yet, really, or anything. And then they would also, from you know, uh, the history of body, they'd have Aerosmith and the Cars and and new band, but new bands like neighbor, the neighbor, and they would have like clips and playing live and little interviews with them. And I would learn so much stuff from that. And um, actually, we the Elvis Brothers early on were going to be a part of that kind of series. Um, and we filmed this thing, and anyway, it didn't come about. But anyway, Night Flight was great. And uh, so I think you saw Lionel, Lionel Hampton. So they had all these other shows, and they had uh, what was it called? Something, something at the Apollo. Oh yeah, show Showtime at the Apollo. Showtime oh, at the Apollo. Yeah. And they would yes. have these little black and white clips, and it wasn't yes. always obviously at the Apollo, but and they would have all these cool bands and I taped everything back then on my beta, my mm -hmm. 300, my 300 pound beta machine and um, my $16 tape, yeah. <laughs> 300 pounds. <laughs> and, uh, 
but I and that was the right at the time the Elvis brothers were taken off early we took off fast anyway I mean mm-hmm. September 11th 81 was our first gig and mm-hmm. and in December we played 28 shows in December oh my goodness it just like took off like a rocket ship over the phone it was just off you gotta get these guys you gotta see this band so I would always have to hit my timer record on the machine and I would right. tape all these shows and uh Anyway, there was a great clip of Lionel Hampton, uh, and God, he did this thing where he, he had the floor tom, he's out front. I think he might have did a little bit of it on that clip you sent me, where he's kind of flipping the sticks, but he's like playing, and the sticks are like, like doing this like circle thing, and he's bouncing them and catching them, and big smile on his face. Yeah, his facial expression is amazing. You got to have the smile. That's that is totally showbiz entertainment old school when you got to keep that smile on. You're like, yeah, this is great, yeah, and you're going, yeah, it is great, yeah. You know, you're not like. Staring at you, shooting, you know, moping, you know, and um, and uh, and then the, the night flight thing. Also, they would have uh, tonight in concert, Midnight Oil from you know they would just oh, have, yeah. and it would be like hour, like three hours of this cool music stuff starting like at ten, and then it would oh. start over again. Right. So anyway, and they would have all of those uh, shows from England. Oh God, what was that show? The yeah, Jules, I think they were the Jules Holland show. No, they had the those live clips of bands, and I think it was from Germany at the uh, I was thinking it's a medium-sized kind of room. Ah, there's a ton of clips on. There's a great David Johansson one from '78. Oh wow! There's the Boomtown Rats, Cars, Police, oh, yeah. you name it, everybody, and they would show those, and they're only like uh, 40 minutes long, but they were always on night flight, so there was. Anyway, it was a, a really cool thing to have back in the day. How about, how about Don Kirshner's rock concert? Yeah, I used to watch that all the time. I saw the very first one. I didn't even know what it was. I go, what's this? And yeah. like Alice Cooper was on it. Yeah. And uh, they did Schools Out and all that was early on, that tour, I think. And uh, well, growing up in Pekin and Peoria, a very conservative town. I had to get the hell out of there. But uh, I remember when I was in the Jets, that band that was influential to me, we were a big Bowie band early on mm-hmm. and uh, loved David Bowie stuff. And they, sh- oh, David Bowie's going to have this, uh, and it ended up being that last live Bowie, mm-hmm. Spiders Live, where it was from. But they wouldn't show it in Pekin or Peoria. On the oh. network we had we had to drive 40 miles and we went to my aunt's house and watched it in bloomington they showed it there so it's so weird like oh we don't want you seeing this weird guy david right. bowie of bad yeah. influence and then they also showed uh the 1984 floor show david bowie special oh. thing that he had same deal we're like oh it sucks and we have to drive to my aunt's and she yeah you guys we're going to bed now you guys be quiet <laughs> so we're like watching the tv at her house you know so um what do you think? What do you think kids do now? I mean, we had we had these shows and and we're, we were compelled. I feel like I was compelled to watch and listen. What do you, what do you think youngsters do now? Well, I always I always say, don't take the brown acid. No. <laughs> I always say. When we were growing up, I don't know how old you are. I'm assuming I'm way older, super older. Mm, no, not not that much older. Really? Yeah. All right. I'm in, I'm in my 50s. 
And you're what? I said, I'm in my 50s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you in your 50s. You kid. I opened up for Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address. He came on and killed. Um, horrible PA. Um, um, I, you know, so in you as well, I'm sure a little, obviously some of that growing up you picture, you're seeing the magazines and you're like, man, I want to be in a band. That looks so cool. And I just want to rock and get out there. And I want to have a record deal and, and uh, tour, like all these cool pictures in here and play in front of a bunch of people and give a record out. And, and uh, there's no record deals now, yeah. you know? So when bands have a band now that I'm sure kids nowadays, they put bands together, but I, I wonder what, they envision because they can't say we're gonna record deal we're gonna go on tour you know we're gonna be in magazines hey there's not even magazines really that much anymore this this is a big one for me and if you're listening to this podcast i apologize for repeating myself but for me it was album jackets but liner notes and album jackets Oh yeah. Looking, yeah looking at the pictures like imagining myself and also like going like what what does mastering mean? What do you, you know, or what does mixing, what does a mixer do? Or what does the producer do even? So is this all that George Marino does? Exactly. <laughs> it's His like every album. Like five, five million records, five million different records, right? God, how did that happen? But, but did you do the same? I was like, what does this guy do? What, what, you know, what is oh, all man. this stuff, you know? Yeah, especially the uh, gatefold covers that opened up. Yes. Um, I was always disappointed when you open it up and it'd be like the color blue and a dot, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> I know. You got all this money for a gatefold. You couldn't put like one live picture in there of I a know. drum set or something. But uh, my favorite one that I used to dream about and fantasize and all that stuff was uh, when I was uh, 15 or 16 or something was the... Grand Funk Railroad Closer to Home album. Mm -hmm. And that was their third album. And the Gatefold opened up and the entire inside picture was this awesome live shot of the day. Black and white photo. From taking up the, the whole No, taking up the whole Gatefold was uh, a black and white photo of them at Shea Stadium. And uh and this big stage and the drums, he's back there rocking the drum, there's huge amplifiers, the bass player Mel's way in the background with his leg way up in the air, like, yeah, I'm rocking, yeah. And Mark Farner's in front with hair hanging down his face and like, ah, like screaming, yeah. you know? And I was like, man, this is so rock. And uh, this is so cool, I, I wanna do that someday. And um, uh, many years later, who knew that I would be on a bill with Grand Funk Railroad guys and, uh, I had to take that album, my original album, but still has my name written on the top left corner because everybody had to put your name on records back then. I don't mm. know why. It's what you did. <laughs> and um, I had them all autographed the inside of the, that cover. So. Oh, man. That, that must have been amazing. Uh, Don, so Don Brewer signed your album? Yes. And he's really tall. Is he really? He's like super tall, like crazy. And then... Uh, the other two guys are just little tiny, skinny little guys. So, but uh, I didn't realize how tall he was. Maybe it was his hair. Is there is there a genre of music that you don't particularly care for, or you know, 
you seem you seem to you seem to like the like music in general but is there is there anything that you don't want to listen to <laughs> is there any, well, there are certain bands that I don't, I wouldn't buy their record. You know, when you're younger, you always say, uh, um, or a teen, or even, and some people will never get rid of it. But at some point, I realize it. That's that bass, not true. I got to stop saying that. But you, you'd be like somebody would be in your group back in the day and say, yeah, that, that band, uh, April Wine, they suck. Or so, you know, or. Yeah. Or trying to think of some other, or, or even Grand Funk Railroad. Yeah, those guys suck. I, I think they're awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, they suck. Yeah, they're, they're horrible. You know, it's like, even though you kind of don't feel that way, you say that stuff anyway. Yeah. Because you, you don't want to be a loser. Yeah. What do you mean you like, he likes Grand Funk Railroad? Yeah. You know, it's like, you don't want to be one of those guys. So that happens to you when you're a kid. You get bullied into that stuff. But, and then you get in the habit of saying, hey, do you like so and so? I don't know. This guy's stuck. But they don't really suck. Then I realized they don't suck. They're just not, they're actually a really good band. Yeah. And I totally get who they appeal to, but it doesn't appeal to me. And I, and I get it, but I don't like, you know, so they don't suck. So anyway, so just stop saying that, all you kids out there. So um, bands are a, um, a genre. Gosh, I don't know. Like so. That being said, I can appreciate all sorts of stuff, you know. But uh, it's not like I go out and try to find a bunch of Irish folk music to listen to, or right, right, or, or something. But I can appreciate it where it comes from. I'm sure there's I, some. I always find myself going back and going, "How did I miss this this era or the you know?" And um, it's humbling, but it's also it's also good to know that it's all there for you, right? especially nowadays especially nowadays like on youtube i'm i thought i was pretty up on bands and things but some of the stuff like how could i never even heard of these guys there's so many bands that i never even heard of oh man they're great you know i I have both their records i have that screams album yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) um so and and some some of these theaters have archived shows which i I grew up in new jersey and the capitol theater in new in passaic was our was our theater we'd go to to see all of our bands but you can pretty much call up any show on youtube and they and they've they were taping it back back in the 70s and the audio is great and um I was recently watching a Sparks concert that I missed uh, at the Capitol Theater. Great, amazing. They were like one of my all-time favorite bands, you know. Very influential on me, uh, lyrically wise, and and uh, what was it on our first? Uh, was it the first album? First Handcuffs album had a song on there called First Class Bossa Nova. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, actually, even going clear back to Scream, they had a song called Pen Pal, which was kind of Sparks-ish. But uh, I had made friends with uh, James Lowe, who played in the Electric Prunes. Mm-hmm. It's like, who would have ever thought I'd be talking, knowing the guy from the Electric Prunes? But he saw me play with some little Stevens thing, and, and he did some of the little Stevens shows. And he, you're that guy that's that stick balancing thing. That's that drummer I was telling you about. You know, like, he's always like, so we became pals. And uh, so we did a first handcuffs record and uh, I sent him the CD and uh, he calls me about a week or so later and he goes, 
hey, I really like it. I like those songs. It kind of reminds me of a band I produced one time called Sparks. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, I, 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 I and I'm like, what? Spark, like what album? Because I know all my Spark stuff. And he goes, um, uh, uh, Wolfer and Tweeter's clothing and uh, this and that. He was like the engineer. And I go, well, you're James Lowe. I go, his name's James Lowe. I go, was that your name on it? He goes, well, it was probably Thaddeus James. Mm. Thaddeus Lowe or something. He was an engineer on it. And he goes, oh, yeah, I produced a bunch of stuff. Stuff for the Rascals. And he named all these bands. And he and I go, well, that is so cool about the Sparks thing. And uh, he goes, yeah, it really reminded me of Sparks, that song, First Class Bossa Nova, which I was trying to write a really early Roxy music song at the time, but those kind of go hand in hand, I guess. Right. Uh, they're like the debut album of both bands. And um, and uh, he goes, yeah, uh, Harley, which is the first drummer, first drummer for Sparks on the first two albums. Yeah, Harley's coming over here on Wednesday, and uh, he's going to lay down some tracks. I'm like, what? Like a, so anyway, I ended up becoming friends with Harley Feinstein. So, and he's actually been in my house, and we've like drummed together and stuff. And uh, so uh, that's my Spark story. Yeah. I just wanted we hadn't really talked about Sparks, and I just love Sparks. So uh, no, it's great. Um, I want to talk about one more band, Cheap Trick. So, I think I've heard. Didn't they yeah, play at the Capitol Theater? Yeah, they certainly did. I have um, a uh, I have a radio broadcast that a friend of mine made back in the day, who lives in the East Coast, that taped it off the radio of a Cheap Trick at the Capitol Theater. I was oh, wow. listened to that thing a hundred times back in the day. This is before like Budokan came out, you know. So, were you, were you? Did you know those guys personally? Were you a fan of Bunny's? Um, or were you just like, you know, smoking? Yeah, sm smoking cigarettes. Were your friends of his? I was very impressed with his smoking. Um, I do remember him smoking. You're right. Never lost beat once. Um, Although he lost a lung. Yeah. Well, I, I believe he quit. I hope so. Yeah. A number of years ago. Um, yeah, good, pretty good friends with him. I, my, the band, the influential band I told you about in my early days. We, um, we lived in Peoria and there was a big booking agent there, Peoria Musical Enterprises. Every band around the area used them. They played the same stupid clubs back in the day. I was 19, 20. But the influential band, Greg, took it upon himself. He was super into Bowie and stuff. And he's like, he goes, let's do something different, you know, let's still do that. What's the other, I found this agency at Madison called Adam, Annie, and Toller, and uh, they have some cool bands and stuff. Let's go try to get them to be our booking agency. So they set up kind of an appointment with them, and we didn't have a demo tape, and so he goes up there. They, he and Graham go up there, and old school, this is kind of a funny story, they, and old school, they take their acoustic guitars, mm -hmm. and they go into their offices. Hi, uh, we're in the band of Jets with a Z uh, that uh, we contend to go, oh, yeah, yeah, you got to have it. He goes, we're going to have a tape, but we're going to sit here and play you a couple of our songs. And, uh, nice. and they played, and they had great songs. They were very Bowie, cool songs. And uh, they just auditioned for them right there in the, in the offices on acoustic guitars and sang live. And uh, they said, all right, we'll book you guys. And that's so old school. Who would ever do that nowadays? Right. And uh, so on their roster, of course, their top band was a band called Cheap Trick. And uh, they were playing the club. This is 74. And uh, 
so the first time I saw them, oh, and also Pezban and uh, who were great, who super influenced Cheap Trick back in the day. Actually, they were doing better than Cheap Trick at the what time. What was it, Pe Pez Band? Pez, like like Pez the candy, mm -hmm. Pez Band, and uh, and the original version of the band was just incredible and awesome. And and then when Cliff from Pez Band started off Broadway, and they had a couple albums out on Epic or something, Atlantic, mm -hmm. I'd go see them in the clubs. I'd be like. God, they're so ripping off Cheap Trick on this song. I can't believe And then someone gave me a Pez Band tape when Cliff was with Pez Band in the early days. They gave me like a Pez Band live in a, a club, 74, 75. Like, holy crap, this is so Cheap Trick. This is where Cheap Trick got all their yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty crazy. But um, yeah, the first time I saw them was a super small club. We had a night off and uh, the agent guy, uh, manager slash manager hey, hey you want to go see cheap trick with me in lake geneva at the black uh, at the what was that the black knight is this club so we went and there's like 10 people there maybe in the whole club and a super small club and uh they still had Zeno was still the lead singer with them and uh so yeah that was pretty cool i could tell right then that they were different and awesome and Rick wasn't wearing his outfits or anything. He was still in his Pete Townsend mode with the yeah. white tennies and white pants and white t-shirt and uh, and Bunny had kind of longish hair and wearing a t-shirt and jeans, you know. But Tom looked like he could have been in uh, Jimi Hendrix experience, you know. Right. He had like, you know, velvet pants on, this cool little short bolero English looking blazer jacket with his hair and playing a Thunderbird out of a high watt amp, you know, it's like, that guy's so cool, you know? And uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, we saw them in clubs many times. And uh, once they got Robin in the band, it changed everything. So who was puzzle. the singer? Or, or, or did you just tell us that? Yeah, the, re the original singer was, they, he went by the name Zeno with an X. Oh, okay, okay. And his real I wasn't team. aware of that, by the way. Yeah, his, yeah. He, looked, he looked like Robin and actually i think they were friends uh early on and uh uh i think his real name was like randy hogan or something but uh he had a thing he wasn't a, uh, he wasn't a he didn't have that special thing like robin but he was an okay singer and he looked cool and he did this cool thing he had like a a boom stand a, a tripod boom stand and uh but the, he would set it over to the side a bit and then have the the, the boom arm kind of long shooting over to the side and he would sing it and then every once in a while he would just kind of push it away kind of fail like kind mm -hmm. of you know, just get kind of swing out and then he'd pull it back and say that's yeah. kind of cool you know just weird little things like that stuck in our heads and uh, the funny thing is if you want me to tell this story is when we first met him it was it was like august or september of 74 at this little club that we played and uh um they drove around in this old cadillac old white cadillac you know it's really old but that was their band car that they drove around in so we're talking to them and it was still kind of the glam into the glam days and stuff and uh i'm outside they haven't they haven't gone on yet and it's still daylight out it's summer and i'm talking to bunny and we're talking about the who or whatever you know and uh so Rick comes out, 
He goes, well, time for the big show, like that. And uh, I remember him saying that. And then he goes, he opens up the back door of the Cadillac and pulls up his brown grocery bag, paper bag. What? Do you need that on? No. And uh, that was my wife. Hi, Chloe. Hi. <laughs> and um, he pulls out this brown paper bag and it's like all wadded up and it looked like he'd had it for like weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was just as, like that was his travel. And it was paper, like, what the hell has he got in this paper bag? And he <laughs> opens up the paper bag and you know how uh, like a satin jacket and like Mark Boland would wear yeah. and in the day glam stuff. The idea of looking glam, glamorous, was the satin was always like so smooth and clean yeah. and perfect. And, but Rick had played a gig in this green, lime green satin jacket. And, and he's like, and he sw- he sweated the crap out of it at some gig. <laughs> then he just wadded it up, shoved it in the paper bag, and threw it in the back seat of the car. And then now it's time to go on. So he goes, yep, time for the big show. And he he opens up the bag and he pulls out this knot, <laughs> this kind of this kind of knot of satin. Like what the hell is that? And he kind of pulls it all apart. And the collar, you know, they had the big collars. And mm-hmm. they're like it's like all, all like sticking out. And it was like the most fucked up, screwed up satin, a hundred million wrinkles and bent. And, and he put it on, he goes, okay, about ready to go play. <laughs> now, Graham and I talked about that for years, how funny That's that funny. was. Like, it was like his, uh, it's like, I'm over this glam stuff. This is right. like my rebellion, you know? So yes. he was always kind of punky that way. And, and uh, he played out of this little orange amp like a twin that he had sitting on a folding chair and the state the club was so small the stage was behind the bar like mm-hmm. the guys in the bar could lean on the back of the bar and that was yeah. the lip of the stage it was like well i'm sure their hearing's horrible to this day yeah and um rick had the orange amp and played a flying v and uh, i kept watching he's like jumping around and doing his thing on this little stage and they're playing a lot of covers basically rebel rebel and mm-hmm. and uh i don't know all kinds of stuff and uh i see his amp like slowly like edging off the folding chair and it's like your thing's gonna fall off and he kept playing and kept he had to have noticed it but he didn't say anything and we're just like looking he's got to stop that in a second and push it back <laughs> Then the thing is like, boosh, just falling. He goes, oh, look what happened. Oh, 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 well, how did that happen, Bunny? I don't know. You know, is this, they were just kind of punks like that. Uh, like he was just a bundle of, a knot of sarcasm. Right. In a good way. So, Brad, Brad, I want to yeah. thank you for being here with us today. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for having this me. Is- and, uh, it was a pleasure to to meet you like this and to speak with you. Yeah, it's so much better than in person. I know. It would, would, would have been horrible. The commute alone. Right. Where are you where are you at? I live I live in New York, uh, about twenty miles north of New York City in Westchester County. Ah. Did you you you're here of the town White Plains, New York? Yes. So it's a I live near there. I think I ordered a uh a vegematic from there one time. You may have, yes. Famous <laughs> for the vet. <laughs> Isn't it like a, one of those places? Like, 
Please yeah. send your orders to White Plains, New York. Go, boo, boo. It sounds like one of those kind of. Um, how can how can listeners get in touch with you? Where can they find handcuffs music and all um, that sort of good stuff? Just the usual places uh, that I guess like the Amazons and things. I don't know. I'm on Facebook. Brad Elvis, come on in. Oh, and there's like a, a, on Facebook, there's a lot of stuff. There's a Screams fan site, which it's got, it's really cool. It's got a ton of photos and fun stuff on there. The Elvis Brothers fan site, same deal. And uh, the Handcuffs fan site. Make sure you put the Handcuffs. Otherwise, you'll get a whole completely different site. Uh-huh. I and, have uh, to check that out. But the Handcuffs doing great we got a fourth album's going to be coming out and uh it's awesome i love it and uh yeah just contact me that way find me you'll find me i'm around i'm looking forward to checking out the new handcuffs and all this other stuff and it, it's always good to i mean i've i've been a fan of yours ever since that first elvis brothers show so how does this guy do it but now, now, now you now you know. It's now not I even know. That, not <laughs> even that hard. <laughs> um, but check uh, out the scream if you can find the screams thing anywhere. Check that out too. I certainly will. Good. I certainly will. Well, thanks again, Brad. We're gonna we're gonna sign off now. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Brian. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Well, folks, we're gonna leave it there for today. I hope you enjoyed the show, and please remember to subscribe and share this podcast. You've been listening to Friends in Music with Brian Doherty. Today's intro and out music are provided by Treat and Release. The music is available on all streaming services. To learn more about me and my work, I can be found on all social media platforms or by visiting my website at briandohertydrummer.blogspot.com. Thanks again for listening and see you soon. My mechanic said there's no problem. My mechanic said there's no problem. What you heard ain't nothing to think about. There is no
making love. 